0: What a great day we've had so far, and I feel that it's only continues to get better. The more that we lift up these songs to God, the more that we prepare ourselves to study His Word. I hope, uh, as we've come to this point in our service, that we're prepared for that. You know, I've really struggled this week, and, and I'll be honest with you, I've thought long and hard about backing out, about giving a different sermon But uh, (laughs) I'm standing up here now and there's no going back kind of deal. I want to start by asking you a question. You know, too many times I think that we throw our title on the screen and we give away what we're going to discuss. And me personally, maybe you've done the same thing, but I've sat on these pews and I began to think to myself about someone who's not here and how badly they need to be here and how they would benefit from this study. I wish that that cousin or sister or brother or neighbor so-and-so was here to hear these things. And what a blessing that they would be to them. But all the while, we forget to consider ourselves, don't we, friends? And we don't reflect on ourselves and where we are and where we've been and where we're going. And whether or not we truly need this. (coughs) So the question is this. Have you ever had someone do something to you or say something to you? Maybe one time and that was enough. Or or maybe they did it over the course of many years throughout your entire life and it finally developed to a point where you finally said you've had enough and you won't take any more of it. I mean, you were truly finished. You weren't going to have any more. You said, I will not have any more. Maybe you said something like this, that if you went forever without seeing the person's face who hurts you, it'd be too soon. Listen, I want to be honest with you, and I mean this from my heart. If you don't invest in our study tonight, this won't matter. These will just be words that I say to you, we'll have a good time, we'll shake hands, we'll go home and we'll eat supper and we'll go about our lives. I need you to pony up tonight, put some skin in the game, and really think about this. But I'm not asking something from you that I'm not willing to do myself. When I was 16 years old, I worked for a guy named Ricky Rush, and he was a deacon in my own congregation. And I love Ricky dearly. I got a lot of respect for Ricky. Him and his family were really good to me, they treated me like family. I spent many days with my feet under Ricky's table. I ran around with his grandsons. We, we were really good friends. We did everything that we should and, and sometimes a few things we shouldn't do as boys. <clears throat> Ricky often would talk to me about life in a, a very interesting way. He would teach to me life lessons. He may not be a guy who, who can sit down and really articulate to you the words of God in a very passionate way, but he would teach you lots of things. In so many ways. And so he'd often try to talk to me about things that I just didn't want to talk about. And one particular day at his house, he brought up a topic that I refused to talk about. And I lost my cool with him. I told him that I wasn't going to change my mind. There was nothing he was going to say that was going to matter. And I said, Ricky, if I go forever without seeing my mother's face, it'd be too soon. And I meant it. I was hurt. I was angry. I was as mad as a boy could be. And as heavy as all of those feelings were that I had, what Ricky said to me weighed so much more. He said, forever is a long time, son. (coughs) Indeed it is. It is a long time. It's a long time. And, And because it is a long time, we need to talk about things like this. Forgiveness. You know, as we were driving to church this morning, I was thinking to myself, the 23rd of this month, I obeyed the gospel nine years ago. And in those nine years, I've been teaching publicly like this for about seven of them. I kind of had a two year hiatus where I wasn't doing so good. But seven years I've been teaching publicly. You know how many sermons I have on forgiveness? This one. I got this one. This is not a topic. This is not a, a, a problem that you can just fix overnight. You can't just snap your fingers and this thing will be well with you. There's no magical pill to solving this problem. It's something that takes lots of time and consistency over time. So as we begin to talk about this topic of forgiveness, I want to consider three statements. Three statements that I've made, that that I've heard other people make. Maybe you've thought these things yourself. Maybe you've said them. I'm justified in my unforgiveness. They don't deserve my forgiveness, or I cannot forgive. I want to consider these as we go through our study, and the first one being that I cannot forgive. I cannot forgive. I want to start by looking at a parable in Matthew chapter 18 of the unforgiving servant. But before we do that, let's consider the context. We have this conversation that begins to take place between Peter and Jesus. And Peter asks him a question. He says, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And he gives to Jesus what he probably believes is a reasonable answer. You know, I've done many things in my life that I've, I've considered them to be reasonable, at least at the time. And maybe you have too. So he says, Lord, seven is plenty, eight is too many. What do you say? Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Jesus is not telling him that seven's not enough and 490 is, but 491 is too much. That's not the teaching. And we can't miss this. Because the reality is, is that true biblical forgiveness does not keep a record of your brother's wrongs. If you're keeping a tally mark beside somebody's name every time they do something you don't like, or says something that offends you, or they just flat out hurt you and it cuts deep. And you're keeping record of this so that you can finally say, Listen, I've been patient. I've tried to forgive them. These are the things that they did. I'm finally finished with them. Kick rocks. Hit the road. I'm done with you. That's not biblical forgiveness. It's just not. And the reason I want us to notice the context is because in this parable, we see that Jesus begins to teach a divine truth about forgiveness. But it's not money that he's considering. Money is used in this parable but what's really under consideration is sin. And so let us not forget that as we begin in verse 23. Jesus says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had began to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. Now, this is money. And I want to illustrate to you in the simplest way I can how much money this is because I can't begin to understand this. So how much money is 10,000 talents? Well, here's a few things that we can compare it to. 10,000 talents is the equivalent of almost three and a half billion dollars. 10,000 talents is the equivalent of some 200,000 years of labor, some 60 million working days. A man would have to live some 2,500 lifetimes to begin to scratch the surface of paying back this debt. So we can sum this up, friends, very easily. When we look at this, we recognize it's an unpayable debt. That's what he owed his master. In verse 25, I believe it really shows to us how serious this debt is. Look at it with me. "But But for as much as he had not to pay, and I want you to notice that, this servant does not have it, he can't pay it, It's not going to happen. So his Lord commanded him to be sold and for his wife to be sold and his children to be sold and all that he had to be sold so that payment could be made. Not to to square up the debt, but so that payment could be made. And it's not just the last payment, but it's the first payment of many and he'll have forever to pay this debt. I don't want us to get confused about what's really being talked about here. What's really being considered here, friends, is you and me and the debt that we owe our holy God. That's what's under consideration. Not the money that this man owes his king. So in verse 26, the servant fell down and he worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I'll pay thee all. He lies to him, doesn't he? He says that he will pay this debt. There'll be some way or another that he he can even out these things but there's not there's just not and then in verse 27 we have a perfect biblical definition of forgiveness the Bible says "And the Lord of that servant was moved he was moved with compassion and he loosed him and forgave his debt he loosed him and forgave his debt Thayer defines it as pardon but notice or excuse me strong defines it as pardon notice what Thayer says He says, letting them go as if it had never been committed. If you've ever had this struggle of forgiveness, then you understand truly the weight of those words and how difficult it is for us to let things go like they never happened. To set them free, to no longer hold them guilty, hold them in contempt of what they did. So this man was loosed, he was forgiven. His master was moved with compassion and he loosed him and let him go. Verse 28, we find that he takes a stroll and he walks down the street. The Bible says that he came to a fellow servant and he, this one that he found owed him a hundred pence. The New King James says a hundred denarii. How much money is that? Well, it's a hundred pennies. And I want to tell you the difference in these debts is really mind-boggling to me. I can't begin to understand this. It's truly a tremendous difference, isn't it? One dollar versus three and a half billion dollars. A hundred days worth of work or some 2,500 lifetimes. 60 million working days. It's truly a great difference. And so this fellow servant, he fell down at his feet and he besought him saying, Have patience with me and I will pay thee all. They did the exact same thing. But I want you to notice the the real difference between servant one and servant two. It's who they were dealing with. Servant number one, he owed a debt to someone who was worthy of worship. Servant number two, he simply besought a fellow servant. Friends, I think too many times we think too highly of ourselves. And when we read this story and this parable about these two servants and the debt that they owed and who they owed it to, friends, it, it, it puts it in perspective, at least for me, and hopefully for you tonight, concerning this topic of forgiveness. Verse number 30, and he would not. But he cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Have you ever been here? When it comes to the the statement that we often make, that hard line that we draw, I cannot forgive, it's really not a matter of whether we can or cannot. But it's whether you will or will not. (coughs) You know, I had a friend in high school, his name was Tanner Savage, and his dad owned a deer processing plant there in Hooks, Texas, where we lived. And most guys that we went to high school at some point or another worked for Pat Savage. And I was there one day, and we were processing deer. (coughs) And Pat asked me, he says, what's your last name? I said, my last name is Schofield. And he said, really? He said, do you know Duke Schofield? I said, yeah, I do. I said, that's my granddad. And he began to tell me about how My grandpa had given him his first job in in, in law enforcement and how he trained him and and how they spent many years working together and all of these things and, and how much respect he had for my grandpa and all this. He just went on and on and he finally looked at me and he said, how is he by the way? I said, well, I don't know. And he was confused. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I've never seen him before. My grandpa lived 12 miles from us. And up to that point, I'd never seen him. It's about the will. It's not whether you can or cannot, but some people are just simply not willing. So when we say that I cannot forgive, friends, ultimately what we're saying is that we place a higher value on people's sin against us more than our sin against God. We just value their offense against us more than our offense against the holy God. So many people don't want to recognize that, but that's the truth of the matter. Do you value your sin against God more than your brother's sin against you? If you do, you can and will forgive them. God views sin differently than we do. We don't often like to think about this because... We don't want to be at odds with our God and how we classify and calculate sin and the differences and how we categorize things. And we got nice little neat pie charts and all of these things about sin and the different sins and which one's committed the most and by who and age groups and all of these things. But the simple fact is, is that we have used sin differently. And I've thought about how to, how to illustrate this in a simple way. I want to use this scripture here from Revelations 21 and 8. <clears throat> I want to highlight a few things that's mentioned in it. I took the end off. We'll notice it in just a moment. But notice these sins here murderer, one who commits homicide. We call them homicidal maniacs, don't we? People who run around killing folks. How about this one? A whoremonger. I won't read that, but you can. A sorcerer, one who prepares or uses magical remedies, or one who worships false gods, an idolater. We agree that all of these things are grievous sins against the holiness of God. And not only do they need to be punished, but they will be punished. But how do you feel about lying? Oftentimes, lying is viewed in a a different light. Paul mentioned that this morning, didn't he? We oftentimes take lying and we kick it under the proverbial rug and leave it there. It's not that big of a deal, is it? But God says that liars are going to have their place along with murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters, and their place will be in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We just view sin differently. We shouldn't, but we do. Sin is sin, folks. It just is. James 2 and 10, the Bible says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, but here's the truth, it doesn't matter what point. It doesn't matter what your offense was. You're still guilty of it all. Maybe you said this. They don't deserve my forgiveness. Track with me for just a second as we look at Jesus' suffering. Matthew chapter 26, we find that he was betrayed. He was arrested, and then he stood trial before Annas and Caiaphas, and then Pilate, and then Herod, and then Pilate again. And then, of course, they scourged him. They beat a crown of thorns into his head, and then they mocked him with this purple robe, and they led him away to be crucified. But that passage in Luke 23, it really convicts me. I want you to notice this beginning in verse 33. When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, they were, they, or excuse me, there they crucified him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not. What they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. When's the last time that you prayed for those that hurt you? I mean, honestly. Do we just act like that they don't need prayers? Or do we pray for these people? Some of the best advice that's probably ever been given to me about this was my friend's dad, Jared. He told me, he said, Neil... It's hard to stay mad at people that you're praying for. I didn't believe him. I did not want to believe him. I was hoping he was wrong. But he's right. Pray for those that have hurt you, that have despitefully used you. We say that they don't deserve forgiveness. You know, when we look at this passage, we see these people who crucified the Son of God. I think that we can all collectively agree if we ever could agree about anybody not deserving forgiveness, it's these people. These people who who slaughtered the Son of God. (laughs) These godless men, as Peter calls them. The man in me says that they don't deserve what Jesus just prayed for, but the reality is, is neither do you, and neither do I. When we talk about forgiveness and, and it being deserved, if it's merited then it's theirs. It's not forgiveness. You need to give it to them. But if it's not merited, then it can be forgiveness. And you better give it to them. Jesus gives us this example of prayer in Matthew chapter 6. He says, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Friends, we can't miss it. it. It's simple, it's clear. We cannot miss these things. That our forgiveness, the debt that we owe God, it hinges in the balance of whether or not we're forgiving those who have debt with us, who have sinned against us, who've hurt us. They haven't offended our holiness. We've offended his. And in order for us to have forgiveness, we must extend forgiveness. Verse 14, he continues, for if you forgive men, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Folks, It's simple. And it's serious. If you're not willing to forgive, when we pray to God and we ask Him for forgiveness, if we're not willing to forgive, then we need to just stop praying. It's that serious. It's that real. Here in John 8... We have this story about the woman who's caught in sin. And I'll tell you so often I read this passage and <clears throat> I see my hypocritical self. The Bible says that Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives and early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him. And he sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself, and he said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down, and he wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. This passage, I know we're all familiar with it, but I want us to look in the mirror Uh, of this text and and, and really think about it. Because so many times I know that I have wanted to take people who have offended me, who've hurt me, and I wanted to drag them before the feet of Jesus and insist that they were punished. I'd say, they hurt me. They've wronged me. They've cut me deep. They've sinned against me. They have debt with me. Jesus, I need you to stone them. But I have not considered what I would do if Jesus looked up at me And said, what about your sins? Because that's effectively what he said to these Pharisees. He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. What about your sins? This isn't about me, is it? It's about this person here. We don't need to put them on trial and wait a while. We need to stone them. We get lost in our own will, don't we? We get lost in this idea of American justice. Good old American justice. We want them punished for their sins. Jesus wants them to go and sin no more. We need to align our will with the will of God and answer the question, what about our sins? Are you without sin? Why, of course not. Romans 3 and 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Are you really justified in your unforgiveness? When you look at these people who've hurt you, or this person, or or these group of people, whatever it is with you, Are you really justified? Or have they done what you've done? Sinned. We have a double standard. We just do. We have a double standard for those that have sinned against us. You know, when we come to God, we want from God His patience, His love, His grace, His mercy. We're begging with Him, pleading with Him to extend these things to us. But when it comes to those who offended us, when we have to deal with other people, you can forget about it. We don't want them to have it. We want justice, don't we? We just want justice. This is a terrible place to be. It really is a life and death situation. You know, there's a, If there's ever been a scripture that's kept me awake at night, (coughs) it's this one. James says, For he shall have judgment without mercy that showeth no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. (coughs) Simply put, folks, when we stand before the throne of Christ on the day of judgment, and we have not extended mercy, don't expect to receive any. There won't be any left for you. There just won't be. <clears throat> I want to give you a few things to think about as we close. And I hope that you'll ponder them seriously. That you'll, you'll take the time to look through the Scriptures and, and consider what it has to say about these things. I want you to remember that your soul is valuable to God. But so is theirs. Those people who have hurt you and wronged you, Their soul is valuable to God. God desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And we should too. But sometimes I don't think that we do. He desires even those that have hurt us to be saved. And lastly, I want you to remember that forever is a long time. It is a long time for us to have to sit and ponder and think about what we should have, could have, and need to do today. And I strongly urge you not to put it off. Back during the summer, you'll remember the Brotherhood meeting in Fort Smith. My parents called me, said they was in a a tight. They needed some help, and they had some financial issues going on, but, but they also expressed to me these spiritual needs that they had. Things that were really weighing on them heavily and that they wanted to talk about these things. This was something that's never happened. Never happened. And, and so I met with the elders. We talked. They emphasized to me the importance of, of focusing things on the spiritual. We went to try and see what we couldn't do. See if they were willing to sit and to talk. <clears throat> that Sunday, I was supposed to be in Wheeler, and instead I was in Falk, Arkansas, my home congregation, with my parents. They come to church with me. And some of you may think, well, that's not that big of a deal, but I promise you it was a huge deal, to me for so many reasons. Because I had to sit across the aisle from the same deacon who I told I never wanted to see my mother's face again. You talk about poetic justice. And me and Ricky shed a few tears after church together. I'd never seen Ricky cry. I'm telling you that because I want you to really think about something. We oftentimes become so fearful about getting involved with people who've hurt us. And for good reason. I'm not going to say that there's not good merited reason for being frightened about being involved with people who've done you terribly wrong. But I want you to consider that maybe, maybe you're the person that can lead them to Christ. Maybe, just maybe, you're the person that has the influence that can help them make the changes. Maybe you're not. But are you willing to take the chance? you really got to understand that this is bigger than you. This is bigger than you. And it's not about you. It's about Christ receiving all the glory. And He's glorified when we set these things aside to try and point people to Him. And I want to encourage you to do that. If you have opportunity, take it. If you have a need that, needs, that you need the prayers of the church for, We'd be glad to pray with you. If you have a desire to obey Christ tonight, to put off that old man, to be buried in the waters of baptism and and arise to walk in newness of life, we want to assist you in that if we can. want to be the class. Why don't you come as we stand and sing?